So Advent prepares us for the birth of Christ with the lighting of the Advent wreath by singing songs and hymns that are filled with expectation. O come, O come, Emmanuel, O come, divine Messiah, Rorate Cheli. The archangel Gabriel's annunciation to Mary of Jesus' birth is read, and we are filled with great hope. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the virgin would conceive, and it was foretold that the servant of the Lord would be sent to us to reign over the house of David. And at Christmas, we realize that God is indeed faithful to his word, and he is indeed with us, and we are filled with a wonderful hope. But if this is the case, then Lent should be filled with an even greater hope than Advent. It was not just his coming that was foretold, but also his identity as the Savior. In the third chapter of Genesis, on page three of nearly a thousand pages of scripture, the gospel is first preached. It's preached by God himself to Satan. This takes place after Adam and Eve sin, before they're told consequences of their sin and cast out of the garden. God curses the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, we're told, though unveiled in prophetic language, that the Messiah would come to bruise Satan's head. In the book of Isaiah, the servant was prophesied to come to make us whole and to make many accounted righteous. Zechariah prophesies, and on God's behalf, speaks of the house of David and of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He speaks of his shepherd, his flock, and the forgiveness of sins and uncleanness. The Old Testament tells us that he would come to save us from our sins. And even more, it tells us exactly how he would come to save us from our sins. It was prophesied that he would do so through suffering. Isaiah tells us of the suffering servant, one who would be lifted up, marred beyond human semblance, despised and rejected by men, wounded, chastised, oppressed, taken away, yet silent, as a lamb led to the slaughter. Zechariah prophesied that the, sheep, the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would be scattered. He prophesied that there would be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness, and that they would look upon him whom they pierced and mourn for him. But even further, it was prophesied not just that he would come, not just that he would come as a savior, and not just that he would come to suffer, but even his prayer as he suffered to save us was prophesied. One thing must first be understood. The Jewish custom was to pray the Psalms, and the Catholic Church continues this tradition by praying the Liturgy of the Hours. Jesus, as a Jew, would have prayed the Psalms, and he would have himself prayed them probably daily. He would have been very familiar with them and probably taken them into his own prayer life. After he was prayed, after he was betrayed and arrested, Jesus, alone and abandoned by his disciples, was held imprisoned overnight. There's an underground, stone-walled cell near the house of Caiaphas in Jerusalem that remains to this day. You can go and visit it. It's the cell where Jesus is thought to have been held overnight after he was betrayed on Holy Thursday and as he waited for his trial on Good Friday.
Though we don't know for sure, it seems Jesus would have prayed Psalm 88 as he was in prison. In it, the psalmist prays that he is reckoned among those who go down into the pit, forsaken among the dead, in the depths of the pit in regions dark and deep, shunned by his companions, shunned by loved ones and friends, left with darkness as a companion. And then there's also Psalm 22, which Jesus prays from the cross. He exclaims the opening verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps he only prayed this one line. We don't know for sure, but perhaps he prayed the remainder of it silently. In Psalm 22, the psalmist prays as one mocked, despised, that he is reviled in the same way Jesus was reviled, that those around him shout out, He committed his cause to the Lord, let him deliver him. He praises one with bones out of joint, without strength, with a dry tongue, parched with thirst, surrounded and stared at, with pierced hands and feet, as they divide his garments and cast lots for his clothing. The prophecies of Isaiah, Zechariah, and the Psalms describe Jesus' passion with incredible accuracy. And Jesus himself foretells his death through his ministry in the gospel with his apostles. We're told of scripture after scripture that Jesus comes and fulfills. And he himself tells us this, and then the gospel commentaries of the authors themselves also tell us this. It's a bit ridiculous when you take the time to look at the prophecies and you look at Christ's passion and see just how perfectly they match up. And we can call Friday good. We can call a day marked by betrayal, cruelty, injustice, suffering, and death good. Yes, Jesus' prayerful agony, his denial by his friends, his lonely imprisonment, his mistrial, and his obedient silence. Yes, his mockery and his brutal scourging, his exhausted carrying of the cross, his degrading maltreatment, and yes, his obedient crucifixion, his salvific suffering and death, and the pouring forth of blood and water as a fountain of mercy for us from his pierced, most precious side. Yes, all of these were dreadfully gruesome and quite literally excruciating, but they were good. Good because Psalm 22 doesn't end with Jesus' death. It doesn't end in despair. It ends triumphantly. It ends with praise and with worship of God. We can call Friday good because it was the will of the Lord to bruise him, because by his stripes we were healed and we were set free from our slavery to sin. The serpent's head was bruised and the word of the Lord was fulfilled. And God proved once again his faithfulness. And he filled us with an indescribable hope. We are filled with hope because he has indeed taken upon himself our chastisement, and he has indeed borne our sins, and has made intercession for our transgressions, for our transgressions. And the Father has not despised or abhorred the affliction of his afflicted son. He has not hid his face from him, but he has heard him. Most of all, we are filled with hope because Jesus was not silent his whole life. He told us many things. He told us that we would suffer. He told us that we would be persecuted. He told us we would be judged, and he told us that he would return, bringing his recompense with him, that he would separate the bad from the good, and that those who keep his commandments, those who love their enemies and pray for their persecutors, those who abide in him, those who eat his flesh and drink his blood, 
who do the will of the Father, will inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. The Lord told us many things. Some he has fulfilled, some he has not yet fulfilled. But he is faithful and he is patient. He is merciful. He is the source of our hope and he is good. I really encourage you to spend some time with the prophecies in the Old Testament and those two Psalms. I think they give you a great glimpse, not just into what happened to Christ, as foretold from very long ago, but also into even the very mind of Christ as he suffered his agony with Psalm 22 and Psalm 88.